Hello everybody, you're listening to J Movie Talk, episode 178, as I'll be talking Fright Night. Spawn of Satan! <laughs> oh, really? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am back and kicking off uh, my official Halloween 5 for the month of October on the podcast. Um, previous episode, you heard uh, Zena Dixon take over the show with guests Marlon West um, as they did their top five spooky films, uh, favorite spooky films, I should say. So I want to thank you guys for taking over the show so i thank you sir for joining Zeno on that episode it was really good hearing some of the stories that you told and everything on the episode so if you guys haven't heard that episode yet definitely check that episode out um and everything um so getting into talking about moving what we're talking about for this episode is 1985's fright night um and of course that is one of the movies that i mean pretty much has been probably talked about to death so i'm gonna try to do my best to not to go down the same roads that a lot of other people have probably covered even though i probably will at the same time because i mean it is a popular movie it is a cult classic uh horror film vampire movie um and everything so the movie stars well first let me do the synopsis so a teenager discovers that the newcomer in his neighborhood is a vampire so he turns to an actor in a television horror show for help dealing with the undead and the movie stars um chris sarandon as jerry dandridge william ragsdale as charlie brewster amanda beers as amy roddy mcdowell as peter vincent and Stephen Joffrey's as Evil Ed, and Jonathan Stark as Billy Cole. That's pretty much a main cast right there. It's not really a huge cast, and it's kind of a good thing they kind of do keep it a tight knit um, to tell this story because there's a couple of things that's going on in this movie. You have the whole vampire aspect of it. You have the whole uh, rear window um kind of thing that's going on where you know the neighbor sees that the next the new next door neighbor is doing some shady stuff and everything like this and no one seems to believe him so it's also that whole the kid who cried wolf you know thing also that's going on so there's a couple of different things that this movie has going for it which i actually enjoyed the fact that they you know do that in this movie and the movie was written and directed by tom holland who just to speak about him for a second um it's funny that fright night was his first um movie um and everything in a, that he directed it was his first film then he followed that up with um <clears throat> some tv stuff and amazing stories um or what night did an episode that then in 1987 does a movie called fatal beauty and i've heard of this movie i just i've never watched it because it stars Whoopi Goldberg, Sam Elliott, and Ruben Blades. That's an interesting um, cast right there. Or what that. And I've kind of always wanted to watch it, but I just never got around to seeing it. 
um, or whatnot, because basically Wolf of Gober is playing a cop, and it, it just, it, I think around that time, she was doing a lot of different things, I mean, she does Color Purple, she does this movie, she does Jumping Jack Flash and everything, just some interesting roles that Wolf of Gober was doing, like, in the mid to late 80s or whatnot, and Fatal Beauty is one of those movies that I've always kind of wanted to check out, but I just haven't got around to seeing it yet um and everything and then 1988 tom holland does a little movie called child's play um i'm I'm pretty sure anyone who's listening that you've i'm pretty sure you've heard of that movie and no i'm not talking about the 2019 uh child's play because that is not the same child's play as the one from 1988 um and then in the 90s he kind of does some tv movies does a couple of episodes of tales from the crypt um then he does the miniseries of the Langoliers, which I've watched and is I've been watching it at the time and being impressed by it. But it's like as time has gone on, the movie is very much dated or whatnot, but it still has some pretty good performances in it and kind of sticking in the um, Stephen King realm. He does uh, thinner in 96, which is a crazy movie. And then after that, he kind of starts just doing some TV stuff. Um, Twisted Tales of from 2013. Uh, I haven't seen or heard, really even heard of that. Um, 2017, he does a movie called Rock, Paper, Scissors. And it says he has something in the works, The Beast Within. Uh, it doesn't have like an official date or anything like that. But that's just his director. Now, him as a writer... Um, he actually wrote the class of 1984 psycho two, um, in 83, he did cloak and dagger in 84. Um, he wrote the screenplay for fright night, as I mentioned, as well as the, uh, screenplay for child's play. Um, he wrote the teleplays for the Langoliers and thinner. Um, and yeah, he, I mean, and and then on top of that, he actually is a trifecta in this because he actually, I actually know him pretty well too for some of the acting credits that he has, which is kind of funny. Um, So the first thing I know for a fact that I remember seeing him in was The Stand um, and whatnot. Because this is around the time, like I say, where he's doing Stephen King stuff. And it seemed like that anyone that was doing anything Stephen King related I feel like if they signed a contract, they signed a contract to do more than just one Stephen King. That's why, like, in the 90s, you saw people, they did one Stephen King, they would pop up in another Stephen King um, thing around the same time or a year or so later. And it just felt like, yeah, they was like, okay, yeah, I want to do the Stephen King stuff or whatnot. So he shows up in the stand. Um, he's also in the Langoliers as well. Um, and then most recently, probably one of his biggest roles is that of uncle Bob and hatchet too, um, and everything, but he's also in cycle two plays deputy Norris in that. And he was also in an episode of the TV series, the incredible Hulk, um, or whatnot. So yeah, he has some pretty decent acting credits as well as being a writer and a director. Um, and everything and I think he does a really good job with the way he directs this film um, as I get more into talking about it or whatnot so right off the bat and you're probably going to hear me say this a few times throughout this episode that Charlie Brewster is an idiot 
<laughs> and the reason why I say that because the movie kicks off with Charlie and Amy in his room. They're making out of whatnot. The TV's on. It's on uh, Peter Vincent's uh, horror show or whatnot. And Amy notices that Peter Vincent is on the TV. So she kind of mentions like, hey, Charlie, you know, Peter Vincent's on. And Charlie's like, yeah, I don't really care that he's on. He's like, I'm trying to, you know, get it in with you or whatnot. But what really gets his attention is that he hears something outside and he looks down from the uh, second floor out of his window. and He sees Jerry and Billy uh, moving in next door and they have a coffin. So it's like that starts to get his interest more so than his girlfriend that is getting ready to, you know, she's basically taking off her clothes. She's ready. She's down for it or whatnot. But he's more intrigued about what's going on next door. So that is the reason why I say Charlie is an idiot um, from the onset of the movie. So um, after that is where Charlie being so obsessed with what's going on next door, because even he mentions to his mother, like, Mom, have you seen the new neighbors from next door? And everything? she's like, no, I haven't seen them yet and everything. And he just weirded out. And one day when he comes home from school, um this cab pulls up and this prostitute gets out clearly you can tell that she's a prostitute but that's by the way she's dressed or whatnot she gets out the car and she asks charlie if his house is the address that he's looking for he's like no no it's uh next door or whatnot and he's like looking at her like oh my god like who is this woman she'll she goes next door and charlie he goes inside and everything while he's upstairs um studying or whatnot he hears a loud scream come from next door. And he's like, huh? Well, what the hell was that? And then the next day on the news, um, sees where that about the same prostitute had been killed. You know what? Now her body was dumped somewhere. So this is where Charlie's true obsession with, okay, Jerry is a killer, you know, type of thing comes into play. Um, or whatnot. And he's just thinking, of course, at that time that Jerry is just a killer. You know, it's not even about being a vampire at, at this point in time until he's sitting in his room and he he notices that this woman and Jerry are standing directly in front of the window. And he's like, oh, my God, like, who is this woman and everything? And it's like he's just watching the fact that they basically, you know, taking off all their clothes right in front of him and him being a teenage boy. Of course, he's not going to turn away from that or whatnot. So Jerry is standing behind the woman and everything as she takes off her top and everything. And he's rubbing on her. And then you see where he rears back his head and you see these freaking fangs come out and he bites her on the neck and everything. And that's where charlie really freaks out because now he realizes, like okay jerry's a vampire and all this type of crap so as he kind of freaks out about this he rushes down and hides in the bushes and he's watching as um billy is kind of loading up the trash bag of the woman or whatnot and you know getting ready to go dump the body somewhere and he sees where Jerry kind of appears out of nowhere and everything to give um, Billy his give Billy the woman's uh, purse and everything. Say, so he forgot this. And 
Charlie's just like peering in the bushes or whatnot. And this is where it, it starts to get kind of weird in regards to Charlie because while he's in the bushes, he's not making any noise, but his mother, she comes to the back door and she's yelling, Charlie, Charlie. So Jerry and Billy, they turn around and look and Jerry gets the sense that Charlie's there in the bushes because throughout the movie, you see where Jerry's eating apples or whatnot. And he takes the apple and he tosses it towards where um, Charlie's hiding in the bushes and still Charlie isn't moving until Jerry starts to walk over towards him. And he jumps up out of the bushes, runs back into the house and he pushes his mother inside and Billy and, and Jerry just kind of look at each other like, hmm, okay, let's see how this plays out um and everything so um before i go any further i do want to talk about the relationship between charlie and amy because that is one of the biggest things in this movie and on the surface it seems like they have such a great relationship this that, and the other. even though at the very beginning charlie is an idiot um in regards to wanting to have sex with her or whatnot um and everything but as the movie kind of plays along and even as i was watching it this time because i've seen the movie a few times before um doing it for this episode but really kind of just paying attention to it this time now charlie and amy might have a good relationship but it didn't feel like william and amanda had such great chemistry um in the movie that that could just be me uh i don't know but uh, it, it didn't feel like their chemistry was that strong or whatnot. Because um, even though they are in their mid-20s at this point, um, I think Amanda Beers was like 27 and, and William Rasdale, he was 24 at the time. So she's three years older than him, but still, they're playing high school students and and everything. But it just didn't feel like the chemistry really clicked for me with them. And even the scenes where they're supposed to be, you know, having these emotional moments or whatnot it just didn't feel like they had really great chemistry like i say that could just be me i could be wrong if i watch it again maybe i see it completely different um and everything but just watching it this time i just kind of noticed like man they really don't don't jail well and i will come back to that later when i talk about amanda beers and somebody else having better chemistry together um so at this point in the movie, it seems like Charlie is the only person that is realizing like something isn't right about this Jerry dude. He's a vampire, of course, but you know, you can't just go around telling people that he's a vampire, he's a vampire. So of course that's what Charlie does. So this is the second time I'm calling Charlie an idiot because he starts telling everybody that Jerry Dandridge is a vampire. Jerry Dandridge is a vampire. And it's like do he realize how crazy that sounds of going around telling people that someone's a vampire? I mean, vampires don't exist, um, at least as far as we know, right? So going under that notion, and of course at that time, the only association with vampires was like a bunch of Dracula movies and Blackula, you know, certain, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, horror films dealing with vampires. So if you kind of pertain it to the real world or whatnot of someone being a vampire, no one's going to believe you telling them that such and such is a vampire because no one's going to believe it. 
or whatnot because your natural thought of someone being a vampire at least in 1985 is what you saw of the old universal dracula blackula and certain other movies that came out um up until that point and everything like that but charlie he tells he goes to the police and he has the cop come there and and everything he doesn't tell the cop of course at first that charlie is a vampire he just says hey i think that my next door neighbor murdered um the women that bodies have been found so he at first he's kind of playing it like yeah you know jerry's just a killer and everything so charlie and the cop they go to the house and everything and billy he opens the door and they go inside and he's trying to warn him you know like hey you know this is what's going on and everything and billy's playing it like real kind of it's very tongue-in-cheek because in front of the cop he's playing it real straight but whenever the cop turns his back the looks that he gives charlie is like yeah like i know that you know and i know or whatnot and it's and it's kind of he's basically like he's goating um charlie along and everything until it's it's about going to the backyard to look at the trash bags and everything so charlie busts out like how about how about this instead of we going to the to the backyard why don't we go down in the basement so billy's like yeah what's in the basement and then this is when charlie spews off into the tangent about the whole vampire thing because he talks about the coffin down there and and this that and the other and the cop he's like what like what the hell are you talking about so the cop quickly dismisses everything and rushes him out of the house and tells him don't you know like you need some help kid leave me the hell alone i'm out of here so the cop leaves and everything like that so like I said, charlie just the way he's handling this situation he has no type of plan at all with how he handles this he just kind of goes into everything headstrong and you would think that okay if if this man is truly a vampire talking about jerry if he's truly a vampire do you think you're the first person that's probably noticed this about him and do you think he's you're the first person that's probably been on to him and that he hasn't handled this situation before but charlie doesn't think like that he's just trying to you know go with this you know headstrong and everything and just completely failing because he has no plan of attack or whatnot so uh speaking of uh billy cole do want to talk about him uh, for a second because he plays a very interesting role in this movie and that character is very interesting even more so interesting of that of jerry because of course we find out yes jerry really is a vampire this that and the third but what exactly was billy and just how he never loses his cool throughout the movie jerry loses it of course a few times throughout the movie but but billy he never loses it and it's just it makes you wonder like what exactly was he and everything because later on in the movie of course when the big battle happens and everything like this and jerry gets shot point blank i mean not jerry but um billy gets shot point blank in the head fall down the steps and everything but he sits back up and then they have to shoot him like six seven times and before he even starts to go down or whatnot but even then he doesn't even really go down it's not until he gets stabbed in the freaking heart and this green ooze crap starts to come out of it then he just melts away so it's like what exactly was billy cole 
um, or whatnot. But he plays a very interesting role in the grand scheme of things, and it makes you, makes you wonder, like, just how him and Jerry even met, and how, like, what exactly was their relationship, and what exactly was Billy, um, and everything. So to kind of continue on with the whole, okay, now I'm really gonna toy with Charlie mentality. Jerry comes over to Charlie's house and he's invited in by Charlie's mother. And when we first see him, he's sitting there in his big chair. So his face is obscured and everything. And when the mother introduces Jerry, he peers around and he looks and he smiles at him and he gets up and he tries to shake his hand. And Charlie's all nervous and scared and everything like this. And Jerry just starts to mess with him by saying little things about, oh, well, now that I've been invited, you know, I'll be popping up anytime I want with your mother's permission, of course. And the mother's oblivious to what that truly means. She's like, oh, yeah, sure. Of course, Jerry, you can come over anytime you want because the mother's just looking at him, you know, for different reasons, I'm assuming or whatnot. So that right there by him being a vampire, he's now being invited to come and go as he pleases. He literally will come and go as he pleases just to mess with uh, to mess with Charlie. And once again, the way Charlie is playing this, he doesn't have any type of plan of dealing with what Jerry is doing and and everything. And later on that night, actually. Jerry does come back to visit him and basically attacks him in his room and Charlie uh, stabs him in the hand and we see him transform into a vampire for the first time. And as he's like growling or whatnot, the mother, she starts yelling and everything like that. And Jerry, he he leaves and the whole thing about, oh, uh, Charlie having a nightmare, this, that and the other. He's all freaked out and this way type of thing like that but uh to talk about chris sarandon in this movie as jerry dangerous i think it's probably one of his best roles and you can tell that he's like having fun with this role especially with the whole cat and mouse thing with him and charlie like he's really like putting it on as if yeah i know that you know that i'm a vampire and no one's gonna believe you so i'm just gonna play around with you to get you into a frantic state or whatnot until he of course started to get people to truly start believing him of course but it's just funny like how he does and like in these scenes like just egging on charlie or whatnot and and everything like that and i think like i said he does a really good job it's crazy that he was 43 years old in this movie because i always thought that chris randall was a little bit younger <laughs> than what he really was i mean i was giving him at least like in his mid thirties, at least, because of course, yeah, he's older than everyone else. So I was giving him like at least mid thirty. Then when he looks up, oh wait a minute, he was born in nineteen forty eight, and so yeah, he's in his forties at this point. Like oh, like, okay, but he doesn't look it or anything like that. And then of course, uh, a few years later, he shows up once again and with Tom Holland and um, Child's Play as a uh, Detective Norris or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I thought he did a really good job in this movie uh, playing the character of Jerry or whatnot um so charlie realizing like okay i cannot do this alone i need some help so who does he decide to go get help from is none other than person that he admires the most one peter vincent played by Roddy mcdowell the tv show 
of vampire hunter Peter Vincent. And he goes there waiting outside the studio for Peter Vincent to show up. And he runs up on Peter like, Mr. Vincent, Mr. Vincent, I, I have something really important to talk to you about. And the way Peter Vincent plays it is like, oh, he's this big celebrity. And, oh, this fan just wants my autograph type of thing. And he's like, oh, so what do you want me to sign? He's like, oh, I don't want you to sign nothing. And it's it's funny the line that, that Peter says. He says it a few times in the movie, too. It's like, what could be more important than my autograph? And he he says it like like he's like he's so heartbroken that no one really wants his autograph. So like, what could be more important than wanting my autograph? And so this is when Charlie tells him about him believing in vampires and that he believes that his next door neighbor is a freaking vampire. Which of course Peter's like, kid, get the hell away from me like you need some help you stay the hell away from me i don't want to hear any more about this and this that and the third so peter's like okay i'm out of here kid and everything like okay yeah you're in that case all right i'm out of here so charlie at his last wits he comes up with some half-ass plan to go next door to kill jerry and billy alone but amy and and uh evil ed they show up and they talk charlie out of going in there you know by himself with no real plan that they were going to go talk to peter to convince him to help charlie prove that jerry is a vampire so amy and ed they go to visit peter and this is another one of those moments of where peter vincent is not the big name you know the big celebrity that he tries to portray himself as and he realizes that he's a hack and everything and that you know he's at the end of his rope basically um as far as his career is concerned or whatnot and when when amy and ed show up and they come in to his apartment and everything and they're talking about you know the kid that you you know that came to see you you know he really wants your help and this that and the other and it's like it's like i'm no it's like i'm not doing that and amy has a five hundred dollar savings that she offers to peter who he who without hesitation said he will take it so that tells you just like how low he really is that he would take five hundred dollars savings from a freaking high school kid you know in order to do this and their whole thing is not to prove that jerry is a vampire but to prove to charlie that he that jerry is human you know he's a normal man basically so they come up with their whole scheme and they don't tell Charlie this. So, of course, when Peter shows up, he comes in full, you know, TV show, you know, character and everything. And, you know, he comes with the holy water or whatnot. And he's telling him, like, look, I he said, I just have to prove that he is a vampire. And Charlie's like blathering on this, that and the other. But he's a vampire. I know he's a vampire. And Peter actually tells us like, like, OK. I need to know that he is. I he say I have to prove to me that he's a vampire in order for us to actually do anything here, which is a true thing because Charlie can yell and scream that the man's a vampire all day. But if nobody else sees that he's a vampire, how do you exactly expect to do anything about killing him? So, of course, they go to the house and Billy and Jerry are waiting for him and they meet Peter Vincent. And clearly, Jerry knows who Peter Vincent is because he 
he comes to him as as if he admires his work and everything, which, of course, you know, kind of gives Peter the big head and everything. And they're talking and laughing or whatnot. And Charlie, of course, is acting all nervous. And in this scene is where Jerry is first introduced to Amy and they have some type of a connection. And we noticed that earlier in the movie, when Charlie and the cop went to the house, that there was a painting of a woman who looked similar to Amy. So it's like, hmm, who exactly is she? And this, that, and the other. But we never really go too far down that road of finding out exactly who she clearly clearly she had to be a relative of hers but it, they never like really go into it they try to kind of give you a little snippet of okay clearly there was an old lover of his that looked very much like amy and amy is is clearly a, a descendant of this person which is why jerry finds himself drawn to her in a way um and everything like that so while they're walking around and they're talking and whatnot and peter gives jerry the holy water to drink and of course he drinks it and you know and everything nothing happens or whatnot and in this scene too in a very subtle way is that you know of course nothing happens with the holy water so he doesn't you know he still doesn't believe that jerry is is a regular person so he pulls out his cross and everything and the look that goes over jerry's face he stops what he's in his tracks but no one else sees that jerry stops and and peter he just brushes i was like oh just put that away and all this type of stuff like okay and everything like this and we're sorry that we bothered you and this that and the other so while jerry is talking with amy ed and billy and even charlie is standing there too peter he's standing off behind them and he takes out his mirror and he's looking at himself and he notices that jerry doesn't reflect in the mirror and he drops the mirror and and jerry gets a little suspicious by it or whatnot and we notice that peter's like oh my god you know type of thing and he freaks out basically he rushes everybody out the house real quick and it's like what's going on and charlie even realized like why are you shaking it's like i'm not shaking it's like uh you know, let's, come on, listen. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just out of here. You know, you kids, you, and everything. It's like, what did you see in there? Tell me, what did you see? So Peter actually admits to him that Jerry had no reflection. You know, and then he drives off. So it's like, okay, you, you find out that the man is not really a vampire. That the man really is a vampire. You freak out, and now you're just gonna leave these kids, you know, high in the wind or whatnot. That's basically what he does. After that, um, so after Peter drives off and everything, um, Charlie, Ed, and Amy, they go walking off because they have to walk Amy home first, um, and everything, which Charlie lets Ed know, like, hey, we're going to walk Amy home first, then you go, or whatnot, so, or whatnot, and while they're on, on their way going home and everything, um, <clears throat> Ed, he decides to leave them and go off on his own down the alley and everything. And this is where Jerry shows up and he kind of stalks Ed and then he eventually, you know, runs up on him or whatnot. And this scene is always kind of interesting to me because <clears throat> throughout the movie up to this point, Ed is always kind of cracking jokes on um always cracking jokes 
on Charlie or whatnot. And it, he of course has some issues of his own and everything. We don't know too much about his home life, but clearly things are not perfect for him um, or whatnot. And I guess that's why he's the way he is and how he got the nickname of evil Ed. We don't really know, but he doesn't like when people call him evil Ed or whatnot. So Jerry just kind of, I want to say gives him an opportunity to be more than what he really is. And he takes it in a sense. And he ends up biting um, Ed on the neck and they hear him, Charlie and Amy, they hear him scream and, Amy's like, oh, it's just it, you know, playing around or whatnot. So they continue walking and next thing you know, they see Jerry out of nowhere. So they take off running and then they get chased to this freaking nightclub by him. And while they're inside trying to call for help um, and everything, Jerry, he comes in and this is where he seduces Amy um, on the dance floor. But the interesting thing about this is that it's not so much that he seduces her. It's the fact that she allows herself to be intrigued by this man um and everything and even though she realized that he doesn't reflect in the in the mirrors either but it's just that interesting back and forth between the two of them like she actually takes control in a sense and jerry allows her to take control he it's interesting you have to like really pay attention to that scene the way that plays out like yes he initiates the seduction but she's in a way seduces him at the same time it's, it's, it's kind of weird to explain but you, you really have to kind of see it to truly understand what i'm talking about there but um it, to me that's always kind of one of my favorite scenes of the movie and this goes back to amanda having more chemistry with chris sarandon in my opinion than she did with william ragsdale and and everything like that because just the way they play off of each other it seems more than what we were getting with her and charlie and and honestly i kind of would rather more of a movie about them than charlie you know he's a vampire crap or whatnot you know throughout the whole movie i'm actually kind of more interested if there was a movie with jerry about amy and the whole history of her bloodline connection to him and everything so while they're there in the club and of course um charlie ends up calling peter who is still freaked out about the fact that he realizing that jerry really is a vampire and he's trying to you know call call him for help and everything and peter's like i can't do any i can't help you and everything like this so while that's all going on evil ed shows up to uh peter's place and, and tries to attack peter and peter fights him off and puts the uh cross to his forehead and basically wards him away and everything he dives out the window and he disappears which truly freaks out peter so after the whole thing at the nightclub where jerry ends up killing two uh bouncers or whatnot one of them played by the dude that played ali in friday the 13th part three um and everything the black dude who basically dies twice in that movie um which i talked about in my fan commentary track for friday the 13th part three um yeah he plays one of the bouncers who gets killed by jerry or whatnot and here he doesn't die twice i guess because they had two black bouncers so 
there was no need for him to die twice here. Right? He only died once in this one um, and everything. But, yeah, he plays one of the bouncers, and uh, Jerry ends up taking Amy out, and they jump into his uh, Jeep and everything, and they take off down the road with Ed in the back seat, in the back just laughing like a maniac as they drive away. So Charlie, he goes to see Peter, who is packing up. He's like, I'm leaving. I'm getting the hell out of here or whatnot. And Charlie tries to convince Peter to help him, but Peter just won't do it. And in this scene, it really shows like just at the bottom of the barrel that Peter really is. Cause it's like, he realizes like he can't do this. And he realizes like his whole life is basically a sham and just the emotion that Roddy McDowell shows in the scene. It's like, damn, this man's really a damn good actor or whatnot. And speaking of Roddy McDowell, like I say, talking about him in this movie, he, he plays a very interesting part because, you know, he's supposed to be Peter Vincent vampire hunter. That's what he's portraying himself as on TV. But the real man of peter vincent which he even says like that's not even his real name or anything so he's always in character and he he seems to be like an actor who probably when the show first started you know it was a very popular show and people enjoyed it but then as time went on it's not so much that the show changed it's just that people interest changed or whatnot especially with like would it be in the 80s so you're having the more slasher films which this movie supposed to take place in the real world of slashers and stuff like that of being a thing so with that uh, people interest kind of weighed away from you know the old monster type of movies and the old draculas and the van helsons and things of that nature um they morph more into your slashers you know and stuff like this so with people interest changing peter vincent became more he became more of a novelty and more of a looking at as being a hack because he didn't change with the times or he just didn't disappear when he was supposed to well i should say disappear but just didn't go away when he was supposed to so now he's trying to cling on to whatever little you know claim the fame that he has and in this scene he just is very sad and depressed and you can just see the emotion in his face but at the same time when he finally does you know man up basically and decides to take on jerry and and everything like that he truly becomes the peter vincent that he once was and i always like that of it it's one of those things where you don't really pay attention to it. I don't think a lot of people do, but just how he, like I say, he, he goes from being the man playing the character to the man truly becoming the character because he really becomes Peter Vincent vampire hunter at the, in the final act of the movie, because the whole thing is built up as, Oh, well you don't, you have to have faith in order to, you know hold that cross against a vampire which in the beginning when when they finally do go to the house to confront um jerry or whatnot he doesn't have that faith and that's when they get into the whole thing with um billy or whatnot because he 
Charlie really did have the face. So he basically do ward off Jerry. And that's when they get attacked by, by Billy and everything. And after they kill him or whatnot, because Peter actually runs next door. He, he actually leaves, which is funny. He leaves Charlie and he runs next door to Charlie's house to find Mrs. Brewster, who is kind of it's weird because what exactly happened to her in this freaking movie? I mean, she yeah, she she doesn't have a big part, but she has somewhat of a integral part to certain things. She's like the only other adult figure, mainly outside of Peter, that we see here um, and everything. And the movie kind of sets up like when he first comes over, like, OK, maybe he's going to try to seduce the mother or something like this. But that kind of gets left we we never get anything like referencing back to that so when peter goes next door and he goes to call for some help call the police basically and realize that the phone lines been cut so he runs upstairs and he sees that someone's laying in in mrs brewster's bed so he naturally thinks it's her he pulls back the cover and it's freaking ed with a damn uh raggedy and uh wig on his head or whatnot and Ed, you know, he basically is like teasing Peter and everything like that. And he pulls out a note and he's like, oh, Mrs. Brewster's working night, working late. And, oh, Charlie's dinner is in the oven or whatnot. But it's like, OK, was she really working late and and everything? But like I say, I just find it funny, like her character just completely disappears. She doesn't even show up at the very end either. So. It's just like the character just basically disappears, which I mean, that kind of always happened a lot in 80s movies, not just horror movies, but 80 movies where characters just randomly disappeared in movies um, and stuff like that. Which is, I never understood that. Why characters just randomly disappear in a movie, especially if they have somewhat of a a connection or integral reasoning to be in the movie, but they just randomly disappear with no type of explanation of why they're not in the movie anymore. Um so this is where we get this whole fight between peter and ed where peter runs out of room he falls over the damn uh night table that's on the hallway crashes and breaks it and while he's sitting there he know he hears like this howling like what the hell is that and then it's ed who's transformed into a wolf and he's coming and in slow motion he's running towards peter and peter's like having this nervous breakdown as he's looking at this wolf coming at him in slow motion basically and right as the wolf lunges at him he picks up one of the the table legs and stabs him in the heart wolf goes flying across the the, go flying across crashes into the chandelier and falls to the floor down below and the look that's on on roddy mcdowell's i'm gonna say roddy mcdowell that's what peter visits but i'm gonna say roddy mcdowell because his facial expressions throughout this last act of the movie is priceless because it's almost like is he really acting or is he like this is generally like what he he's feeling as he's looking at what he's seeing before him because when he looks down clearly this wolf thing is fake as it's trying to maneuver across the floor and i don't know if it was a man in a in a damn wolf suit or what but you could tell that it was fake Uh, but when he runs down the stairs and he goes to where ed is transforming slowly back into himself 
the special effects with that, the practical effects, I say, is done very well because you can see see the slow transformation back into him being a person and just the emotion that is on his face as if you know he's realizing like yeah i was a lost soul but now i'm kind of back to being myself and i want someone here to console me and at first it's like peter wants to console him but it's like he can't and and so in that regard ed dies in such a sad way because even though peter was there with him he basically was just waiting for him to die in a sense and because once he dies that's when he takes the table leg out of him and then he goes back next door and then he i guess he had the courage now to really take things on head on or whatnot because when he comes back in the house he he's more assertive and everything he's truly the vampire hunter at this point because when he first went in there he wasn't so convinced in in everything or whatnot it wasn't until he went next door and killed ed he comes back and now he he has the courage to go on or what and everything but um so so after like say after billy's been killed of course um and everything peter and charlie they basically take on jerry and they realize here too that um that amy has been bitten because when he when jerry took her back to the to his house and everything they have a moment another moment where once again she allows him to bite her it's not that he forcefully does it he doesn't do it you know with force at first he's about to but she stops him and she takes down her dress so that he can do it and she allows it to happen and it just like i keep coming back to this like what exactly was it was they never went any further with it and i kind of wish they did because i think it would have made for a little bit more interesting part of the movie to find out why exactly amy was so i'm not gonna say that he clamored her to the point of where she you know she wasn't aware of what she was doing i think she fully was aware of what she was doing and that's the thing about it she was intrigued by this man she felt some type of connection to this man um and everything because even going back to their first encounter the, the way she looks at him and like i said the two scenes that they share solely together she kind of takes a command over jerry in a way and she allows him him to bite her on the neck and she ends up turning to a vampire and everything and they're realizing like they have to basically kill jerry before sunrise otherwise um she's gonna be a vampire forever whatnot so we get this whole you know basically haunted house type thing where jerry's basically flying around the house on the outside you know as they're running around the house to try to stop him and everything like that and so they end up getting to a fight with jerry and the sun actually is starting to come up and jerry you know he's kind of laughing at the fact that he's basically won to some degree but not really because after he crashed through the window and where he's standing at the sun is starting to rise and peter tells him like look behind you and he turns around and then that's when the sunlight starts to hit him so he ends up turning to this giant freaking bat and he tries to attack peter and whatnot and while he's trying to attack peter and peter's warding him off 
uh, Charlie runs up and tries to grab him. He turns around and he bites Charlie on the arm. That's another thing that I thought was going to kind of come back into play towards the end of the movie. Um, but it doesn't. Um, it's almost like a misdirect um, type of thing. Um, so Peter fights the bat Jerry off and he ends up flying down into the basement because that's where his coffin is. So they run down to the basement and the fact that Jerry has the coffin closed, of course he's in the coffin and he has it locked from the inside. So while Peter's trying to break the, um, the locks from the outside off, that's when Amy shows up and attacks Charlie and they get into this whole fight and everything. And then Peter, he gets the coffin open and he stabs Jerry, but Jerry doesn't die right then and there. He gets up and then he attacks. He starts trying to attack um, Peter or whatnot. And as they're trying to attack him, that's when they start letting in sunlight from outside. And that is basically how Jerry dies because they break all of the, the mirrors and shine the light on the inside. And he burns up in the basement like that. So that's, that's how he's taken out. Um, to a sense and Amy gets turned back into a regular person so the movie kind of comes full circle where just like how the movie began with Charlie and Amy in his room making out or whatnot and Peter Vincent show is on we're there again but this time we have a more confident Peter now he's fully into character because he knows what he's been through in real life now so he can kind of play off of that experience here and he even gives charlie a shout out on the show and of course they kind of you know smile about it or whatnot and there is one last misdirect at the end of the movie where charlie gets up and he stands there at the window and it's like he sees like some eyes like glowing in the dark across in the in jerry's house and amy's like are you okay and he's like yeah i'm fine or whatnot and we do get that glow glowing eyes again and then the movie goes off so it's like okay what exactly was that stinger all about and everything so the movie does end kind of somewhat with a stinger um and of course it could have because it could have went another way of where you know what if charlie was a vampire because jerry did bite him on the arm when he was a bat and everything so what if he they could have went that route but they they don't go down that road or anything but um but yeah that's pretty much um fright night um before i get ahead i do want to talk about williams ragdale performance i remember watching it before and it never really bothered me but i think watching it this time maybe because i'm older i don't know but he was for the most part kind of annoying in this movie to me um I, I kind of really didn't care so much for Charlie in this movie because he was he was kind of annoying. And just the fact that he, he was like, why doesn't anyone believe me? Please believe me. He's a vampire. You know, this whole thing. And it's like, will you shut up? You know, people are not going to believe that this man's a freaking vampire. Like Peter Vincent said, without some concrete proof, which is what Peter got was concrete proof that he was a vampire or whatnot. But I was more intrigued with like the other characters more so than charlie who's supposed to be the main character um and everything but other than that um i enjoyed the movie um if i didn't get the movie a rating i would give it a solid i give it a solid four out of five it, it, it's an entertaining movie it has some really 
good moments. It has some good special effects. Uh, like I said, Chris Sarandon, Amanda Beers, their performances, I mean, really stick out. Peter, uh, Roddy McDowell is Peter Vincent. There are some really good performances. Just the fact that our lead <laughs> in this movie is probably the, 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 uh, I won't say the, the worst one but i see that he's kind of the last on the totem pole if when you think about it as far as from a character performance of the main characters he would be last on that list um and if i had to go with a favorite character it's kind of a toss-up between um i mean chris Sarandon that would kind of be too easy so it's kind of a toss-up between either roddy mcdowell or uh, as peter vincent or amanda beers as um amy the, those two characters really stuck out to me in this movie watching it for this episode and everything so that's pretty much it i want to thank you guys for listening to this episode i'll be back for episode 179 as i continue on with Halloween five on the podcast um and everything where i will be talking about monster squad uh, so yeah i'm looking forward to revisiting them because it's been a long time since i've watched monster squad from beginning to end so i'm looking forward to watching that and hopefully my opinions for that doesn't change kind of similar to what happened with fright night um of course uh, you can find me on the twitter at jmovietalk um and everything or on instagram at jmt podcast you can find all of the movie talk episodes a part of the tv zone podcast network which is our host site on anchor um and of course you can hear us all over whatever podcast um catches that you have itunes spotify uh google podcast podcast addict um pod chaser like i say wherever you listen to your podcast just type in tv zone podcast network and you can hear all of the episodes for movie talk as well as all of the other shows that are part of the network and everything like that um thank you guys again for listening and i will be back for episode 179 peace